Here at Jericho, we, as we move towards uh, Easter and are moving through the season of Lent, we are in a series called Fear Not. And as we began and engaged with this series, one of the things that I did was just started asking people questions. What are the things that when you, when they come to your mind or when they come up in conversation, you feel unclear or you feel afraid about? There's just something about it that stirs up a sense of fear in your heart, whether it's a part of the unknown um, or whatever it is, and you're unsure of your response. So people gave, I think, a very authentic and very wide range of options. Some people talked about, I just don't understand enough about Muslims, and so uh, we invited a friend to come and speak about that. Uh, some people said, I, I just don't know how to handle uh, conversations around mental health and how that looks like. Uh, others said, you know, I don't know anything or how to discuss uh, First Nation spirituality. So last weekend we worked through that and helped, uh, invited some friends to give us some teaching and guidance around that in our history of interaction. And today uh, we're going to talk about something that happens just incredibly commonly to us to the point where we actually might not think that we're really scared of or have fear in our hearts anymore about it because it's just such a common occurrence in our world and in part of our lives. And that is our interaction uh, with people who are homeless. And so we just want to open it up for a little bit. And maybe, Lauren, uh, uh, do you want to kind of start us off? And maybe I'll do some introductions first before we get there. Uh, some of you might recognize and know Lauren Epp. Uh, Lauren's an advisor to our board and uh, works as uh, executive of an organization called More Than a Roof. And they, uh, More Than a Roof is an agency uh, that is, a, I would say, a premier faith-based organization that develops and maintains affordable housing uh, all throughout our province. And Lawrence had a long history uh, with More Than a Roof, and More Than a Roof has had a long history starting in the auspices of MCC and then uh, branching out from there. And so uh, they do incredible work. And uh, certainly you're going to talk a little bit more uh, about that, and we've, we've uh, really welcomed that and engaged with that. And uh, Jenna is on our staff team. Uh, Jenna is our children's director. Before she came to us, she worked for a women's shelter. And then before that, she was engaged as a frontline staff member at the Gateway of Hope here uh, in Langley. And so we want to just hear a little bit from some work on the front lines and from some things that our people are doing and uh, also hear a little bit uh, from you. So, uh, Lauren, let's jump into it. Okay. Uh, how am I doing? Sound? Margaret's looking after me this morning, so she'll make sure it's uh, just right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to come and, and say a few words about uh, a, a, a sort of a, a ministry and an issue that's very close to my heart. And it's been my life calling over the last uh, almost three decades. Uh, so uh, it's a, an area of ministry that I feel very specifically called to, and I've been very privileged to, to work with some great people and uh, to see many homeless poor housed and, and uh, be able to, you know, get, get their life back together and, and, uh, um, and just move on into better circumstances. So, um, yeah, uh, the... My work with More Than Roof started in the early 90s as a volunteer, and I've uh, continued since that time. Uh, Jenna, did you want to say a few 
words to start? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and to be able to talk to you about this today. Um, it's something that's really close to my heart as well. Um, and it started actually my first uh, position at Gateway of Hope was as a receptionist and then I moved on to front work, uh, frontline staff and then also in their second stage facility. And so um, I'm just, I'm excited to share with you about some of the things that, that the Lord had taught me um, during my time there. And, and just like the softness, um, the softness of my heart that developed because of my time that I spent at Gateway of Hope. So I just wanted to hear from some of you, I'm, I'm sure that as you've gone to the grocery store or you've gone to the dollar store or you've gone, to, you stopped at an intersection, you've been approached by somebody who is obviously homeless, they might be in distress. I'm sure those of you who uh, work in the downtown area uh, go by people who are sleeping in a, in a door well and in a, in a staircase and or, or by a heating grate. Um, I just wanted to hear from some of you of situations like that and if you've had any interactions with people. Has anybody, uh, you know, stopped and talked to anybody? Let's, can, can you just share just a few moments? It might have gone well, it might have gone badly. Uh, can you... Let's start with Ron over there. Pastor Wally's going to come around and just ask about a situation that you encountered. Check. There we go. Um, I had one interaction where I saw somebody, you know, the typical thing where you drive down Vancouver and you see somebody on a boulevard in between traffic running in between cars. And I'm not one to want to give away money because I'm afraid of what they might do with it. So, so I managed to somehow pull my car around into the local gas station and went and got myself a sandwich and a, something to drink. And, and I, I said, well, you know, I won't give you money, but I will give you food. And so I, I ran through the traffic myself trying to get to this person. And it wasn't so easy. I don't know how they get there. And uh, ran up to this person and finally got to them. And I'm sure a lot of people were wondering what was going on. But... Uh, I looked at him and I, I said, listen, I, I, my car's double parked over there, so I don't have a lot of time, but Merry Christmas, here you go. And it was just this look of, I don't know, astonishment on their face, like they never expected that to happen. Okay, a few other, Joel and uh, Mike. Well, I've had a couple of instances where I've had to interact with homeless, uh, mostly uh, I remember um, in my role as a real estate agent, I've had uh, the police call me to say, you need to attend at this site. There's a bunch of homeless people there, and they, we need to have you there to tell them that the owner of the land says they are not allowed to stay there because they're telling us they have permission. <clears throat> so I've, I've had to do that a couple times, walk onto the site and say, sorry, guys, the owner does not want you living here. You need to move on. One of the things I learned about that is that, you know, it's not like all of a sudden you move them off the land and they're going to find a home. They have to find some other place to camp out and, uh, and most of these people have more than one challenge they're working with besides financial. There's other issues uh, that they, why they're not working and why they're homeless. Um, and it's a sad state. So, you know, you try and do it as gently as possible, but the police are there to say, move on, right, and in those circumstances. So uh, one time, though, I remember um, I was going to a luncheon, a, a full gospel businessman luncheon in, in Langley City. And as I was walking, there was a guy with a plastic bag, obviously a homeless guy, and he said, you want to buy some books for me? 
and he wanted some money too. Who knows? And that's the big fear that we mostly have is what do we, as Ron said, you give them money, you think they're going to go out and buy some more drugs or booze or something stupid that's put them in there where they are. And um, so that, that's a whole other discussion maybe, Ron, uh, uh, maybe you guys will talk about that. Um, anyway, he asked me if I wanted to buy some books. I said, no, I'm really, I, I'm just late for this luncheon, but why don't you come in and have lunch with me and I'll buy you lunch. And he said, no, 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 I, I just need some money. I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't need your books, but the, the invitation's open. I chatted with him for a few minutes and about, I went in for the luncheon and about 10 minutes later, he walked up to the door and said, yeah, okay, I'll take you up on the lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, and the gospel, full gospel businessman luncheon was, uh, you know, you have, a, you have your lunch and then there's a speaker. Well, he, st he did stick around long enough to have lunch, but he left just before the speaker started. So unfortunately, he didn't get that benefit, but at least he got lunch. <laughs> One more. For that, Ruth Ellen. Um, one time in Vancouver, this is how I was blessed by a homeless person. Um, I was pregnant with Anthony, and we'd spent pretty much the entire day walking around, sightseeing, doing different things, trying to soak in the time before baby came. Not one person looked me in the eye. Not one person smiled or said congratulations until I met this homeless man on the street corner. He didn't ask for money. He just said, looked me straight in the eye and said, oh, congratulations. This is such a wonderful time in your life. Have a blessed day. And I have found since then, it is the homeless people who will look me in the eye, and they are the ones who are way more ready to start a conversation. And that really challenged me. Okay, uh, various experiences, and I'm sure there's many other stories out there, and I've got a ton of them. Some are humorous, some are sad, and uh, I'm happy to share them after the service. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, people who are in dire straits can get very creative and with their, with their uh, plight. And so uh, I actually had one guy, he was a strapping large man um, and and he looked very athletic and his but he was uh, chronically homeless and he was a tenant with us for a while and he would pretend to be a BC lion um, <laughs> who got mugged and they took his wallet and he would give a story that his mom just died in in Kamloops and he needed a bus fare but he was a BC lion or he had to get back to practice or he was going to lose his job and he made a fairly handsome living <laughs> with his with his story and there's others like that but uh, you know what it is a pervasive social uh, issue it has grown rapidly since the late 90s and there are some causes of, for this and and uh, the Bible says that the the poor are a very special subject of God's care and God's providence and that uh, in James, you know, he says that true religion, uh, a culture of care is what defines uh, true faith and true religion. And there's, there's hundreds of scriptures regarding the poor, and it would seem to indicate that God is very strongly biased to help the poor and the needy. Um, I was talking about this with a friend of mine, a pastor friend, and he, he very wisely pointed out that it's, it's like if you have a child and that child is being bullied, you... you tend to spend a little extra care and attention for that, that particular child. Uh, God is not a respecter of persons, but he does pay very special attention and care to the, the plight of the poor. Um, 
So poverty in Bible times uh, was related to powerlessness and the poor uh, often can't protect themselves or cope with things like exploitation or poor health or mal malnutrition. And uh, it's curious to note that when Jesus spoke his first sermon, um, the one where they wanted to kill him, <laughs> um, he said, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news of the gospel to the poor. And the good news of the gospel to the poor was that they didn't need to be poor anymore. If, if they come under uh, God's covenant of care, uh, the, the, you won't be stinking rich, but, but your needs will get, get taken care of as per the Lord's prayer. They'll have daily bread. So uh, when, when it comes to encounters, many people feel psychological discomfort or fear. Uh, when they're, you know, because it does kind of touch something inside, there's a personal responsibility. And uh, scripture acknowledges this fact in, in Proverbs 14 20. Uh, it just says that uh, poor people are despised. And so Jesus also highlighted that with his, his proverb about the, uh, the Good Samaritan and the man that was beaten up beside the road. There was an aversion people wanted to avoid, and they would cross the street and they would not look. And, and they were just not wanting to personally engage. So uh, it, he does, Jesus also affirmed in Matthew 25 that our, our responses uh, to the poor, to the needy, and those who are in desperate circumstances uh, has very direct eternal consequences for us. So, so uh, those are some things that maybe Brad will talk about a little more. Jenna, what are, what are other observations that you have from the scriptures that you think that needs to guide our thinking as Christians uh, around some of these conversations? Yeah, well, I'm glad that you brought up the story of the uh, Good Samaritan because as I was praying through um, just what to talk about today, I, I felt like the Lord um, was just saying that we need to see them as our neighbors. Um, and as I, as I was remembering some conversations that I've had with um, some of our, we call them guests, that they stay with us, they're our guests. Um, so some of the conversations we would have with our guests at Gateway of Hope is they would come back to the shelter and say, people don't even see us. They don't even know that we're human. They walk to the other side of the road. And um, we, we have a very good example of that in the Bible, which is the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, where um, a man is beat up and the priest does walk right by him and, and the Levite does walk right by him um, and then a Samaritan stops and um, it's the Samaritan that, that helps him. And I think that if we can just, if we can change our mindset um, that these, these people aren't different, they, they are people that are struggling with homelessness. And if we can see them as, um, as um, people that are made in God's image, um, then, then there, there we are um, starting. There's a starting point for us to be able to show them compassion. Um, and I just, um, I came across this verse in Proverbs 22, and it just says, the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of all of them. Um, and I think that we just need to remember that, that, that God made these people, that they are special to him, that they're important to him, and they're made in his image. I think even some of that actually starts with our language and how we think and talk about this issue. Uh, so if we talk about it as an issue or a problem or whatever language that we use, then when we encounter someone, we don't see their personhood, we actually see them as a, as a problem. 
or they are a representative of a societal problem. And so one of the things for me that's been uh, instrumental is just starting to even think about how I talk and think about this issue. And do I talk about it as this is a person who is homeless and put their personhood first and recognize they're made in God's image? Or is this just a homeless person, just a nameless, faceless individual who, you know, I need to be finished with so I can get on to other really important things like luncheons or whatever. Um, so I think that's a that's a one piece of the puzzle. I think the other thing for us to recognize, and Joel, if you can get ready to cue this up for us, is sometimes here in, uh, when I talk to people in Langley, I hear them talk about this as a Vancouver issue. Oh, this is a challenge for, for there's a lot of people in the downtown east side, you know, obviously. Uh, but let's just open our eyes and our hearts just a little bit, and this is some footage from CBC that talks to us here, and look for the specific number that you see in Langley. The numbers are staggering, but not surprising. A 30% increase is far more than our economy can sustain, and now we know that homelessness is costing us billions of dollars. On the other side of that, hundreds of people are dying on our streets. Uh, this is a crisis. A 30% rise in homelessness since the last count three years ago. Vancouver saw a good chunk of that spike, logging more than 2,100 people homeless right now. But surrounding cities are up too. Surrey's homeless count rose 49% to more than 600 people. And Langley, up 124% to over 200. Fundamentally, I think we all knew that we were going to be up to a degree. Um, we have, in Surrey, I know, since 2015, put in another, added another 120 shelter beds. Obviously, that's not enough. The homeless count was done by volunteers over two days in March. Officials hope the stats will open the eyes of politicians throughout Metro Vancouver. You can't just say, you know, this is a Vancouver problem and that it's associated with the downtown east side because that's not true. So we need to make sure the candidates and, and all the politicians and all the people that can do something to help are recognizing that this is a thing. Low vacancy rates and lack of affordable housing are being blamed. One nonprofit took the opportunity to launch its 10-year housing plan in response. We have a big problem in that we haven't built purpose-built rental housing in the private market here for over 30 years in BC, uh, and we haven't built social housing for 25 years. So the amount of work that we need to do runs the gamut in terms of our housing continuum. Also concerning is the find that 34% of homeless people counted are Indigenous. These numbers accentuate a need to support some of the most vulnerable in our society. So we are calling on uh, for action by way of an increase of resources. Those behind the homeless count will be paying close attention to the provincial parties as they release their election platforms ahead of the May 9th vote. Megan Batchelor, CBC News, Vancouver. The numbers are staggering. So this was from uh, last year. And uh, so you notice uh, from last March's count, uh, this is a 24-hour period where people go out through the cities and interact with and people who are on the front lines. Over 200 people here in our city are homeless. And so this is an issue for us to really wrestle with and engage with here. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the, kind of the history that, like, why have we got to this place? Lauren, can you give us some kind of, it was referenced a little bit in that video. Um, there's some systemic challenges that we face that uh, are, are 
uh, as a result of some of the recent history in our region. Let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that. Well, I'll even step it back another step and say, where's the church in all of this? Yeah. And, and I think in, in the 20th century, uh, particularly after the Second World War, uh, we, we uh, had a very distinct separation of church and state, where state was saying, we'll look after you from the cradle to the grave. And everybody got a social insurance number and uh, a medical card, and, and the assumption was that government was going to look after this. Uh, before that, for 2,000 years, the church has been the social safety net for, for the world. And suddenly, it's just in the last 60 years that uh, that all changed, and everybody expected, well, we're paying our taxes, so government's going to look after it. Well, this particular issue, uh, and, and uh, we'll shoot a, there'll be a video clip a little later, but, but this particular issue has its roots in, in uh, social policy and, and uh, Canadian and, and uh, U.S. policies and Great Britain as well. In, um, up till uh, up till the mid 80s Canada had uh, a social housing safety net and support services that were unrivaled in the world the world was looking to Canada as a leader in this but then uh, came Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and Reaganomics and the idea was that uh, for large-scale economies um, if you reduce taxes and reduce government, uh, everybody will have more money and everybody will be better off. And what happened was uh, that ha that was partially true, but um, the first thing that happens when you have a growth economy for two or three decades in a row is that real estate prices increase. That's the first thing that happens, right, Joel? <laughs> and, and suddenly, uh, well, how that's translated in, uh, in our day and age with the price of real estate and rent, rents go up and taxes go up and insurance goes up and construction goes up and everything goes up and people that are uh, vulnerable get left behind. So suddenly the way that translates in the last decade is if you're working at Starbucks or working at Walmart and you were living in a basement suite and the rent increases to twelve or $1,300, suddenly you find yourself living in a van or living with friends. And, and uh, if then some other kind of life crisis happens, people wind up... Uh, wind up being shelterless. So, so that's, uh, the, the church definitely has a 2,000 year calling to, to be involved and engaged in, in helping the poor and the homeless, but somehow that got sidetracked by, by government policies and government uh, now with the recent liberal government, this is the first time in 35 years that money is getting put back into social housing and, and help for the poor and the homeless. So uh, it's, uh, you know, it's been a, something that's been 35 years in the making. Uh, but now is just starting to be addressed so that agencies like uh, House of Hope and More on the Roof and UGM and so on will have more resources. And, and basically, it has been government resources that fund our work. So, Jenna, can you give us some windows into maybe some stories of guests at Gateway that you interacted with that would have been caught up in what Lauren's describing? Just some of that, I, I was bumping along in my life and then something happened and it, it created the conditions that then they found themselves at Gateway. Yeah, um, I can. So um, um, I'm thinking of one particular man um, who, um, who, is, who is working um, 
and he was making it, and he owned a home, and he was doing well. Um, but just um, I think that just some like like life circumstances. Um, I mean, like everyone goes through stuff. So what happened to him is he um, fell into um, a depression. Um, and because of this depression, he wasn't able to work, um, and he wasn't able to live off of um, off of welfare and what they were giving to him. And they're just, um, and that's another thing is that, is there's just not enough um, welfare money to go around to to actually pay for people to be able to afford housing um, right now in this market. And so, um, just he wasn't able to um, to make it on welfare, and so he f like like. Uh, fell between the cracks, um, and then that spiraled to him, um, like becoming homeless, and then uh, becoming an alcoholic after that to try and cope with his homelessness. And he he was actually um, so he came to Gateway of Hope, and he actually started working again. Um, but then, because he was an alcoholic, um, a lot of the money started falling into that. But but it was it's interesting. Um, how that happened because he didn't become an alcoholic and then become homeless. He became homeless and then became an alcoholic. Yeah, quite often people get caught in a downward spiral and the stories, while they're very unique and very individual and very compelling, there are some common themes that go through. Something happened, uh, either an illness, an accident, a business failure, a messy divorce, uh, a car crash, and and uh, something happened, and not everybody bounces back from that. Not everybody uh, can can find hope and resilience, and and so sometimes something on the inside shuts down, where personal hope gets lost. And then uh, one of the things that uh, I and my staff do is is try to rebuild hope in the human spirit. And, and that is one of the key things to, to having people be able to, to turn it around for themselves, just to, to rebuild that hope where they say, yeah, I can beat this addiction, or yes, I can uh, live with a mental illness, or so on. So very often, um, yeah, very often the, the, the stories are unique and individual, but uh, just something has happened in, in an individual's life that just put them into a tailspin. And so I have people with university degrees, I've got people with, uh, you know, who've excelled at, at, in a professional uh, life uh, and, and they just got caught in a downward spiral and weren't able to find their way out. What were some other themes, Jenna, that you saw in your work with Gateway? Come, some causes or some uh, kind of precipitating factors that you noticed that were, were some common themes? Yeah, so one thing I noticed um, a lot was that we had, I, I would say the majority of our guests um, struggled with mental health. Um, and the majority of them also didn't have supporting families. Um, and so um, they would come to us um, and they would be struggling with their mental health and they wouldn't have anyone who is able to take care of them. And um, I, I have a sister who struggles with, um, with um, her mental health and I know that she has, has a family that supports her, but I think where would she be if she didn't have people taking care of her? Um, and so I think that um, um, I have been, I've been asked um, by actually quite a few of my friends, why, why don't they go get jobs? Um, and I think that you need to realize, or we need to realize that um, that they are quite often in places where they can't 
work where they have crippling depression or they have paranoia where they think they think the government's coming after them or they have um, um, they're bipolar um, and so like I was working with people who who were struggling and just did not have the support networks to surround them and, and to help take care of them Yeah, what we started doing and work it was to work with the provincial government and the city of Vancouver primarily to uh, address all all factors in people's lives and 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 you know, we kind of put it out there more than a roof. Uh, we do, we kind of put it out there, we do more. So we, we try to address people's health, uh, mental, spiritual, physical, emotional. And we just, uh, we try to address, first of all, to address poverty. And if we give them a unit and get them on a subsidy and get them plugged into the social, uh, into the BC benefits, then there's a housing allowance that we can, you know, they can, put toward their shelter and once how's uh, you know home changes everything <laughs> and that's central to what we do uh, the idea of home just changes everything for people and once they uh, have stability then they can start working on the other stuff like the mental health and the addictions networks of support and um, so there's five areas that we very consistently work at addressing poverty uh, addressing uh, networks of support, because with mental illness, families get estranged. Things blow up and, uh, you know, stuff happens. And uh, the same with addictions. Um, if, if somebody falls into addiction, their family basically uh, disengages. And it's very challenging for families to, to uh, embrace a family member with mental illness or, or an addiction or both. Uh, beyond that, um, networks of support get broken, um, hope gets lost, and people uh, just find themselves fighting for every inch of life, and, and so their life becomes very conflicted and conflicting, and the only way they know is, is how, to, how to kind of swing, swing out and lash out at the world. So um, those are the five areas that we found that are common. Um, one of the other things that uh, Lauren does a sort of a, a passion of his is filmmaking and film production. And so I put together this uh, little video which kind of outlines and gives us a little bit of a state of the homeless uh, in Canada today and what that looks like. Let's watch this. Hello, I'm Lauren with More Than a Roof Organization. And there's something important you should know about housing affordability in Canada. Recent numbers indicate that almost 390,000 Canadian households live below the poverty line. They're spending more than 50% of their income on rental housing. At least 235,000 Canadians experience homelessness annually, and on any given night, up to 35,000 Canadians are living outside on our streets. So homelessness is one of the most visible forms of extreme poverty. It happens as a result of a number of factors. At a personal level, people get caught in a steep cycle of poverty, unemployment, or experiencing a mental or physical illness. Life events like a severe accident, an addiction, an abusive relationship, lack of education or job skills, all of these things can be contributing factors at a personal level. And in the bigger picture, there are often social and economic forces at work that are way beyond the control of the individual that is affected. So these could include a sharp economic downturn in an industry and suddenly many people are thrown out of work. 
Forces of globalization can cause local jobs to go to other countries. Our steady growth economy can cause real estate values and rental costs to spike while wages lag far behind. The trend of urbanization means 80% of Canadians now live in larger centers and this brings severe pressures on the affordable housing stock. It also creates the need for more. The rise of healthcare costs and the trend to close psychiatric hospitals has caused many to fall through the cracks in our care system. A huge factor in all of this is the lack of effective and coordinated affordable housing strategies and policies at all levels. And you might be asking yourself, which level of government is responsible to address homelessness in Canada? And the fact is, all of them. And that's the problem. Because all levels of government are directly involved in policy and programming for this, no one jurisdiction can be held accountable for reducing and eliminating homelessness. Government roles often overlap and compete, causing wasted resources and not enough results for the homeless. At More Than a Roof, we have a long-term goal of reducing and eliminating homelessness in those communities where we serve. So we're part of an emerging movement to reverse the trend in this complex national problem. We know conventional strategies like emergency shelters, social services, health care and corrections combine to cost our Canadian economy $7 billion annually. We know that our approach of providing affordable housing care and more is one of the foremost cost-effective answers to reducing and eliminating homelessness. Giving people below the poverty line hope and opportunity is an essential ingredient for bringing about change. We know that effective policies and strategies need to be adopted at all levels of government to support the creation of more affordable housing. We know that broad public support and cooperation across business groups, nonprofits, churches, institutions, and governments will be the only way we can bring about large scale effective change. So this brief introduction today is also my invitation to you to learn more, see what's working. It's also my invitation for you to learn about how you or your group can be involved in making a meaningful difference in the lives of others. Thanks very much for watching. So let's talk about some of the strategies or things that we can do um, as individuals as we think about uh, what, what can we do as, as um, we move towards response? Jenna, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that you saw that were effective at Gateway and then some of the things for you personally that you put into practice? Yeah, um, so um, one way Gateway asks for help a lot is um, on their Facebook page. So they've got a very active Facebook page. So if you go onto their page, you like it, um, they'll tell you what they need, whether that's socks or underwear. Um, but then they also have um, they also have four events a year. Um, the one coming up is on February 24th, and that is the coldest night of the year. And what that is is it's a walk um, to bring awareness to um, the circumstances that people... Um, that people face when, when they have to sleep outside every day. Um, and it's also a fundraiser, so you can, um, you can walk on your own or with your family or as a team, um, and you can raise funds towards Gateway of Hope. Um, they also have in the spring or summer um, 
something they call the Tournament of Hope, which is a golf tournament. So if any of you guys are golfers, that's a great way to uh, to raise funds as well. Um, and then they have, of course, their Christmas kettles. Um, and I believe the Christmas kettles is how they bring in the, the biggest amount of funds. And so if you think, I can, I can give two hours um, at Christmas time to go with my family and ring bells, it makes a huge difference because that's two hours where they can uh, collect funds. And so um, that is very much volunteer driven. And so that is something I would encourage um, encourage you guys to uh, think about doing. Um, and then there's also their, uh, their fourth event is uh, called Ride Into History. Um, and it is a um, event, a motorcycle event. Um, but then around that, they also have family activities like, um, like I believe they do, um, like they bring old cars out and they do an Elvis Presley show. And so they, it's a lot of fun. And I know a lot of fa families have a lot of fun with that. So um, yeah, I would just like them on Facebook and just be aware of what they're doing. Um, and um, I was thinking about just some, some ways that, um, um, that I have seen um, individuals making a difference. And so um, I've had several people ask me what to do uh, if someone asks them for money. And, and what I say is just, just put it into a jar um, and then you can give it to a shelter once some, it amounts to some, something. So every time somebody asks you for money, just put it somewhere, put it in a jar somewhere and then bring it to the shelter because um, the shelters are, are making a big difference. Um, and that's where, that's, that's really where the the, the money will, will make a difference. So, um, yeah, those are some ways. I know we've had some people uh, here from Jericho that interact at the Gateway. Jared and Ruth Ellen have been down there and uh, participating in leading a time of singing, and then there's a community meals that are organized as well. And so one of the things that that does is it just helps, again, to give a sense of personhood and interaction uh, with people in that environment. And Gateway staff do a good job of setting that up well, and um, it, can be a, it can be a little bit scary for you to go in and sit down and try and begin to talk to and open up a little bit in some of these conversations, and sometimes it does take a little while for that to happen. So parachuting in you know, once and feeling like a superhero is probably not, you know, that, that feels a little bit more like doing your bit for the poor to relieve a little bit of guilt. Uh, that's coming from somewhere, but actually saying, you know what, I could go to that community meal a few times and, and invest in some of these relationally and try and learn and understand some of the stories and the history there uh, can be a real significant piece. So, Lauren, it, what are some it, thoughts it's you called, have? In, uh, it's called Pet the Poor. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, kind, it's kind of, uh, you, you don't want to do that. I mean, if, if there's a volunteer commitment you can commit to, that's great. But uh, sort of the one-time uh, uh, the one-time uh, volunteering deal. Uh, there are some events that are structured for it. UGM does a fabulous job of feeding a lot of people, and they need a lot of volunteers. Uh, we ask our volunteers for a pretty heavy commitment, and they usually come monthly and and engage with people. Um, some things that I've found personally that that uh, help me uh, stay on track with my life mission. Uh, I carry a go bag with. Uh, power bars or apples or or uh, bottled water, and when somebody asks me for something, I always ha offer them something. And and yeah, you know, Ron, you're right. My my formerly homeless friends say, yeah, if I got money, I just went straight into my arm. So uh, uh, you know, that's that's a fairly strong probability just to but be able to offer something. Um, uh, 
always be respectful if you can. Uh, look people in the eye, and if you can get a name, that's great. And uh, if you give people something, they'll usually say, God bless you. And I welcome that every time, right? So, so I say, God bless you too, and, and just say a silent little prayer for them. Uh, people come from very diverse backgrounds. They, they are uh, mothers and fathers and sometimes grandmothers. And, uh, and so just uh, one thing I say is just uh, be smart around your personal safety. If you see somebody that's very agitated and talking loudly to nobody in particular, uh, that's usually a signal to uh, just uh, avoid in that situation. But uh, Quite often, uh, yeah, contribute to local agencies, the food bank uh, groups that are making a difference, uh, shelters, transition houses. Uh, uh, they can all use support. Sometimes you can volunteer in those situations, and you can say certainly make uh, the homeless part of your your prayer. And and you know that person I saw today, Lord, just be with that person. And and God has a way of honoring those prayers. And if you're really brave, uh, the homeless count is coming around uh, in March. And there are agencies in, in Langley that will uh, ac actually uh, give you some training on how to, they'll give you a couple of blocks to go around and you can then go and engage with people and just kind of get a few details as much as they'll share. So, so that gives uh, government and agencies uh, ideas how much help that they can, they can start planning on. Right. Um, and we have a lot of people here at Jericho that are actively engaged at various different levels. So I think about people like uh, Mike and Dan Zorn, and they go with their family to Cloverdale Kitchen. Uh, and they serve there and have a meal together and help in the prep and uh, service of that meal once a week. And has been a, they've just started into that. They said, hey, listen, I'm looking around for an opportunity we can do as a family. And just so you're aware, Gateway, because it's an adult-focused facility, is not always a great place for you to plug in with your kids uh, because it's just not structured always in that way. But Cloverdale Community Kitchen, the Zorns have found that to be a place where uh, it, it's much, uh, there's, there's a much stronger focus there. Um, I think about uh, people who serve various agencies, uh, Joel working with the food bank for years and years, sitting on the board and giving leadership and guidance direction uh, in that. I think about people uh, like Larry who sits on the board of an agency called Hope for Freedom, which is addiction recovery and housing and uh, using gifts and skills there that God's given him. I think about people uh, like Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Weens, and Cheryl's uh, become an advocate here in Langley for second stage housing as it goes through the development uh, process. And she's not able to be here today, but if you like, uh, if you friend Cheryl on Facebook, you'll, you'll be able to keep in touch with some of the ways in which that's moving, uh, it, the discussion is moving its way through here in Langley or on the Quality Inn just down the street from us. Um, and just a, a lot of kind of, I would say, misinformation happening uh, about that. So maybe Jenna, because that'll be a live issue for us now. We're going to do municipal election cycle here. There'll be lots of chatter in the papers and people giving all kinds of thoughts and ideas. You worked with Gateway and their second stage housing there. Just tell us a little bit, uh, just how should we respond? We're in conversation. Somebody's dropping a kid off at school and it's like, oh, I can't believe those people are going to be living just around the street from us. 
How can we enter into that kind of conversation yeah, wisely? So I think that um, the misunderstanding is they thought that there was never second stage housing, uh, or it's yeah, second stage in um, in Langley before. Um, can you just sorry define that for us, just so yeah, that we so, understand what that means? Yeah. So second stage um, is is sort of the next step. So it's preparing to help you live on your own is what we would do at Gateway, um, and so. Um, um, it was, um, you would rent um, from, from at the time it was Gateway of Hope, um, a space upstairs. And so you're paying um, f a very low rent. Um, and then they were helping you figure out things like your finances or helping you get schooled or jobs and stuff. And so that's what second stage housing is. Um, and so um, I think that people think this is new to Langley, but we actually had um, second stage and third stage in Langley for um, a very long time, and um, I think that the benefit of it moving away from Gateway um, and off their property um, is that um, we had a low barrier shelter downstairs where people were allowed to be actively using, and then we would have um, second stage facility upstairs where they were not allowed to be using, um, and so it was it was just. It was just too hard um, to be expecting people who struggled with addiction to live upstairs while knowing that there was um, substances downstairs that they were addicted to, and so I think that um, I think that just understanding that this isn't new, this is something that we have been have been. Um, working with, that we do know uh, what it is, what it's about, um, is just something that you could just remind um, parents of if, if it comes up in conversation or friends or anything. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Lauren, or on things that we need to be attentive to and just aware of how God begins to prompt us around these issues? I think awareness is the key, that this is a huge social issue, that the church is part of the answer. I don't think the church is the total answer, but we have to work with government institutions and other groups, indigenous groups and women's groups, and, and we just have to come alongside and, and be salt and light and, and just be engaged with the community around us. And uh, yeah, I think awareness is the key because uh, we, we just, you know, in the last year, we just saw uh, a lot of media attention paid on, uh, given to the refugee crisis uh, overseas, and it was a tremendous humanitarian tragedy. But I would put forward also that we have a similar humanitarian tragedy happening in our, in our alleyways and in our parks and in our streets. Uh, and and just uh, you know just ask ask the Lord. Anybody, you know, you can't do everything, but I believe everybody can do something. That's a good word. Well, let's uh, just spend a moment then. I want to pray for you, Lauren, uh, and the work that uh, you and many others do uh, in, in the calling that God has given to you. And um, we'll just continue to ask God to give us wisdom to respond. So, God, we thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to open our eyes. Uh, we pray, God, that you would also open our hearts. Uh, we are... Uh, clear that you are uh, calling us as people of faith to care for widows and orphans, not just in Guatemala, not just in Tanzania, not just in other places of the world, but here in our own city, in our own backyards. And so, God, I pray that you would stir us up in that. I pray that you would continue to challenge us. I pray that we would... Uh, you'd open our hearts and our eyes to see hope 
that you would allow us to participate in meaningful ways uh, in coming alongside of people so that they don't feel alone and that we can uh, be a part of breaking some of the cycles, uh, downward cycles that people are caught in. And so God, we ask uh, that you would grant us mercy in this and that you would also grant us courage that when we see things, uh, when we uh, hear things, that you would allow us to speak with conviction, you would allow us to speak with compassion and allow us to speak with just a deeper understanding of your heart uh, for the person that's in front of us in that moment. And so we ask for all of these things in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And we're going to have um, Caitlin and the team uh, lead us in two songs of response. And then uh, we're uh, going to wrap up. And we'll show when we wrap up, you guys are going to spend a little bit of more time looking around and bidding on your items for uh, Guatemala. And we're going to show uh, at that point we'll show uh, a video uh, as well. So we'll just move into a time of worship now, then we'll respond in our offering in a few minutes, and then uh, we'll uh, close our time uh, with a video. So let's move into a time of worship now.